Hello, beautiful, and welcome to the podcast where we're moving the conversation forward about the choices you make in your daily life. I'm your host, Monica Cox, and I'm here right alongside of you, learning, growing, observing, and trying to make better choices consciously and subconsciously. Together, we're going to become better versions of ourselves and have raw, honest, open conversations about the things that truly affect our lives. And maybe, just maybe, finally get to a place where everyone else's BS doesn't trigger us. Um, and just taking of like, okay, what's my lesson to learn during this whole thing? And it's really just release, right? Like I can't control it. Never have been, never will be able to control it. So I mean, it is that thing around control. Like, you know, it's like two parts, the way that I look at it, like, cause the first part is, you know, like a sense of anxiety that it can cause you that you're not controlling it right you know because you're like oh fuck I'm the only one that can do x you know you put yourself in the middle of it all um and obviously that's not helpful um because the realization is that yeah like you say you've never been able to really control them I think the other part is more like easing the suffering a little bit you know and, and that to me is a little bit harder you know like I think I'm much better now with like okay look, I've tried to help you guys and you don't want my help or, you know, you, you won't listen and then I'm okay with that. Um, but the part where, you know, like they're constantly struggling in like these constant, you know, harm cycles for themselves, that part is the harder part. To, uh, yeah. Not like just to, just to let go of. And, and we need to talk about it a lot actually because it's that, that thing of... Uh, I guess it's like the family bond, you know, like, well, maybe it's not family, but it's just that thing of, you know, when you love someone, you don't want to see them suffering and yeah, trying to be okay, bringing the learning from the control of the first control part into the second part, I think is very difficult. Yeah, definitely. And I think as you kind of, you know, I don't love this term, but awaken, and you're dealing with your own internal BS and all that kind of stuff, you're more aware. Mm. Um, and I think part of the journey of being awakened is learning to release that control and watch, just be the observer. And it's so hard when it is people you truly love and don't want to see mm. suffer and to be honest even like people who you don't love and you're just like oh like only if but it's just not their journey this time around you know or maybe they I, I do believe the human body can only take so much and mm. eventually you'll get to a point where it at the moment is not reversible right? I think the body is incredible and it can reverse a lot of things, but I think there gets a point where it's just like, I can't do it anymore. And if you get to that point, we both know the work we're doing is that when you get into the stuff, it's not overnight. It's not like you read, you know, the power of now and you're like, oh, you know, like, I'm so amazing. I can do all this stuff. It takes years. Tomorrow, tomorrow, everything is going to be solved. 
And so, you know, even if that person kind of quote unquote wakes up, you know, are they going to be able to do the things they need to do to heal or right the wrongs or whatever it is? And likely not, you know? Um, So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting place to be and not one that I think many people talk about, you know? Um, because it's not a good selling point. Not like good marketing, isn't it? <laughs> like heal yourself and then watch everyone suffer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for sure. But I mean, it, it, it's also, because it is that catch-22 thing, right? Because like when you do, you know, like I've seen being able to have difficult conversations and putting myself into situations where it is difficult when you see other people suffering if they've had a loss or, they're going through stuff like there is this ability to also make a difference you know and and that's where I think yeah that's the thing that I struggle with because it's still this idea of like how hard and how hard to push and when to push because there is the possibility to you know push people into an a mind, I guess, a mind state where they can start to understand a little bit more what you're saying or that their own healing journey can begin. Uh, We all had an awakening point, right? Like, you know, using that word. So maybe you could be that awakening point for someone else. But a lot of what I think about now is really about not, it's not the outcome. it's, It's almost like, you know, try one for the dipper but it's like if i if i give you know the the best kind of help maybe that's the wrong word but if i if i can give someone you know uh, a different viewpoint or you know share my experience then maybe that can be a trigger point for, for them to think differently and i'm i'm happy if i do that like i'll push myself to get to that point but the outcome is not something that I focus on that that's not something because that's out of my control so it's you know because it it would be easy to sit back and say well nothing matters you know like we're all you know transient beings and you know uh, there is no emotion there is no thought everything is make-believe and you know there's an element of that for me where yeah I, I think maybe we do have a certain responsibility at times to at least do that first point, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you, you know, most people who have known me for a long time, um, me talking about my own journey on the internet is is that tipping point for other people of, to resonate with. Um, and it is important. And, and some people are called to do it. And then some people aren't, you know, they go through their own experience and maybe their conversations are just with the people around them. And, and it's all a ripple effect, right? Like we don't need to reach the masses to do it because we are all, you know, just moving along. And I, I can see in my own inner circle of me, um, just being me and being honest with like my journey other people have picked up little things and changed little things in their lives. Um, but I wanted to come, I wanted you to come on um, and talk about your journey. Um, for our listeners who don't know, I've known Brad for over 20 years. He's one of my husband's uh, closest friends from New Zealand. And we had very different conversations 20 years ago. 
Um, but what was your catalyst? Where do you think it all started for you to have these kind of big mind shifts or this kind of awakening? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess to, to go back to the very, very start, it was uh, losing, uh, uh, we lost our daughter. Um, she was born uh, five days ago, 11 years ago. Uh, it was, would have been her 11th birthday. Um, and she was born with a genetic condition, which meant that she uh, had difficulty moving her muscles. Um, you know, she couldn't kind of feed herself and breathing was very, very difficult. So we started uh, our new family life uh, in intensive care in the hospital. And we spent uh, the first three and a half months of our lives uh, as a family in the hospital, which uh, as I'm sure everyone can imagine was extremely difficult, uh, very tough, very confronting. Um, for me personally, I, I was in a brand new country with a uh, completely different language and completely different kind of rules of how everything works so you know there was definitely a feeling of you know kind of shock uh not only with um you know what was happening but also you know the i guess location and situation that i found myself in um we had a lot of difficult times through that period, but then we got a really uh, wonderful moment when we got to take our daughter home. Um, and she was uh, with us for about another month and a half um, before we lost her, um, which was quite a traumatic loss uh, when it happened. And uh, as you know, anyone else who's gone through that, and um, you know, as part of my journey, I understand that there is a lot of people that go through many, many different losses. Um, and you know, there's a, a big, big community out there of people who understand how it is. But it was, I guess, just this complete feeling of I don't know what to do anymore. Um, and you know, as you said, we've known each other for a long time. I identified myself in a certain way. I was very clear who I was as a person, you know, the type of role I played uh, in the workplace, you know, in my relationships um, with my family. Uh, and, you know, there was a very high level of self-confidence, I would say, uh, with regards to, you know, being able to, you know, make decisions and solve problems and act and do all of those things. And basically, you know, through that whole entire period uh you know when our daughter Annabelle was born uh to when she passed away that was in essence the you know the the earthquake or the seismic shift which meant you know I don't even know who I am anymore um so that's I guess kind of the the genesis in terms of you know where everything started for me um there was definitely no moments uh, quickly after that where, uh, you know, any kind of realization or uh, acknowledgement of, you know, how do I carry on or, or how do I remake myself in a sense. But there was definitely um, a number of bad traits that, you know, now I look back on and can see that those, you know, certainly weren't going to help uh in, in my ability to actually begin a path of healing um so i i guess that i would say that that's kind of like the the starting point um but the the path to healing was much much later I yeah 
Yeah, I don't think um, there's many times that something big like that happens in our lives and we all of a sudden just like the light switch goes on, right? There's definitely a part of, um, if you want to say, quote unquote, bad traits that get bigger, right? The Mm -hmm. anger, the disappointment, the hurt, the lack of control, and maybe those, um, you know, patterns that we were running just become more self-destructive? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and at the time, I didn't have a language or the ability to kind of understand it. But, you know, ultimately, and I think for a lot of people have gone through this, that the thing that saves you when you're drowning is your ego, in essence. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, you know, forms a very nice cocoon around you and says nothing else matters, only you matter. Um, You know, this whole thing happened to you, no one understands you, no one else could understand exactly how you feel. And anything that you need to do to get better or to get through this, uh, it's open, just do whatever you want. Um, And, you know, in part, that can be a good thing, um, obviously for a period of time. But I think the problem is, is that it doesn't, it won't disappear on itself. It won't automatically acknowledge that, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a point now where what I'm doing as your ego is actually harming you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really great book that I read, um, Grief is a Thing with Feathers, that uh, basically the author um the the family in the book lose their mother and uh it's you know a bit magical realism that a crow comes in to the family uh and basically protects the family and the crow is you know essentially an allegory for ego and it stops everything from coming into the house that could damage the family it protects the little boys it protects the dad it allows the dad to kind of grow with the children as they get older um and you know there's a really nice moment towards the end where you know the crow kind of says to the dad like you don't need me anymore um you know it's it's time for me to go and the dad doesn't want the crow to go because you know he sees the crow as being the one that's kind of gotten through this whole process um and i i think there was definitely an aspect of that um you know reading that book it was like a real uh, wow moment in the sense of you know understanding like what was that trigger and what were the things that i started to realize this isn't working for me um but as i said it took a long time and when we had two more you know beautiful children um and as any parent knows like you know when you have little kids irrespective of you know any kind of previous trauma or or history that you've got going on you're completely consumed by that right Mm -hmm. um you know there's day-to-days there's diapers there's tears there's arguments with your spouse over who's doing what and um we were fortunate enough we i live in sweden um to have uh parental leave so we get uh you know incredible parental leave uh, like six months it was pretty much full pay um so for my parental leave we moved back to new zealand and it was an interesting period before we left because my son was one my first son was one one year old and i kind of felt okay once we get out of this kind of grind once i get away from sweden because there was a lot of negative connotation as i would mentioned earlier about being in sweden that i will feel okay Um, and I'll be back in New Zealand, I'll be surrounded by my family, I'll be surrounded by my friends, you know, 
we as a couple me and my wife will be able to you know kind of work on the things that are maybe stopping us um and the reality was is that nothing changed um and, and you know it, it, changing location meant nothing uh, mm -hmm. we still had the same behaviors we still weren't willing to kind of break through that self-protection that we still had and you know it had only been i guess a couple of years at that point um so yeah that that was one kind of trigger um but it was <laughs> you know another couple of years almost from that point on which was with our second son and we did the exact same thing um and you know as i'm sure other people recognize sometimes we lie to ourselves and we say that okay this time when you know i get four months paid leave and i go back to new zealand uh with both my sons uh i, I will work on this and i'll get better um and it was only towards the end of that period of time where finally uh i guess yeah how to describe it it i think it was it was it, it was awareness I, I started to listen I think um and there was so many things that I was starting to be more open towards as well like different ways of thinking you know I had some tentative steps into you know thinking about meditation and basically there was a, an understanding that what I was doing wasn't working you know mm -hmm. I, I was still feeling awful my mental health wasn't great um throughout both of you know the pregnancies that we'd have with that um sons I was an absolute mess um mm -hmm. I kept pushing at work I kept thinking that work was something that would distract me and allow me to you know kind of you know heal because it would just help the time go in a sense and you know really pushed myself uh on that front and you know took on a lot more responsibility and you know trying to do everything and uh I just got to the point when I was there when yeah, there was just a, a clear understanding that nothing that I'm doing is working and I feel awful. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what people for the majority need is they're tired of their own BS and that self-radical realization that I have everything that I've ever tried to work super hard for, right? The money, the flat, the kids, you know, whatever it is, and I feel like shit inside. So when you get to that stage and you're willing to move the only way the only the only way to go is inward right because you did all the outward stuff and you're so willing and wanting to have a quote-unquote successful life and you realize the successful life is happiness with what even if that is still this great career or you know money or success or whatever it is you want that happiness inside and when you're not getting that you're willing to shift and do those little things as a man do you feel that that's harder to do because of society or has that shifted from even 20 years ago I think it's definitely, I think I would say it's definitely shifted from 20 years ago. Um, you know, there is something about conditioning, I would say, definitely, that that we have uh, as as men, you know, growing up and, you know, New Zealand can be a, a, a bit of a hyper male environment at times. Um, and, you know, like I played the sport, you know, I played the contact sport and, 
um, you know, there's always a lot of aggression and all that kind of stuff around, uh, you know, grew up with two brothers. Um, so, you know, there's definitely an element of what solves your problems isn't like talking about them. It's just getting on with it. Right. And, you know, then coming through the banking world in London, you know, again, it's extremely, you know, hyper male aggression, really. Uh, and you learn, you know, like everything becomes like a conditioned behavior. Um, you learn the traits that make you successful. And, you know, I absolutely did that at times. Um, so I would say that the ideas that were filtering in, there was definitely a resistance towards them, you know, and I think that is part of that precondition that, I, you know, you're alluding to. Um, but the overwhelming thing that I think I just felt and, you know, in some of those moments was just that I don't have the answers. Like I can't solve this by myself. Um, and in order to, you know, look to feel better, then I, I have to find something uh, to do that. You know, we, we tried to go down the route of therapy and it had worked to a certain extent. Um, but there was an element of struggling to find a connection, I think, with, with that person and, and, and an ultimate understanding. And I think there's still like a, you know, I think the ego was still a little bit protectionist. And, you know, sometimes you think you're smarter than them and you can try and figure out what they're trying to do. And, you know, there, there was a lot of that type of behavior, I think. Uh, and, and I really felt, I think, at that moment, like when we were back in New Zealand, that I realized that I have to find this. Uh, no one's going to give it to me. Um, and one of the things, you know, now in terms of reading and a lot of the reading that I've done, a lot of the study that I've done on, you know, processing trauma um, and working through grief is, you know, is this concept of like learned helplessness. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, when we lost our daughter, you know, everyone was amazing and it was great in terms of the support and you felt like, you know, you were, you were, you know, very loved and, and that was, you know, absolutely needed at that time. But there was also this feeling with the ego that at a point in time, you know, I don't have to be responsible for anything. And any time that there were maybe some triggers or things that, you know, we're pointing towards a different way of being able to, to heal or begin to heal, I kind of didn't want to do it, you know, like it, it felt too hard and it was too scary and there was a lot of fear. Um, and yeah, I, I think from that aspect of it, once I finally had this, you know, realization and it was a silly one, really, it was the fact that I heard like in three different podcasts in the space of 24 hours, they all mentioned this guided meditation app. Um, and I felt, you know, like it was the proverbial sign or, you know, the universe putting something in my way. And I resolved then to, you know, let go of this kind of learned behavior, you know, that we just mentioned and say, well, why can't I try this stuff? You know, why, why can't I? Um, and so I did. And, you know, from that point on, I feel, you know, and that was, uh, what are we talking about? Six years ago now, almost, uh, yeah, almost six years where I started uh, my meditation journey, which then basically was for me, the ultimate catalyst and just opening up a completely different way of thinking.
Yeah. Yeah, it does. Doesn't it? Um, because it's so radically different to everything that we've been taught, right? Just push it down, go play sport, go have a drink, sit in front of the TV, you know, whatever it is. And the fact that someone's saying just sit with yourself is one of like the scariest things I think most humans will encounter, right? I have clients who are like, oh no, I've never done that. <laughs> like, yeah, because that's not what we're taught. And especially yeah. in these day and age, like um, we have so many devices and so many distractions that, you know, the word boredom doesn't even hit most people's, you know, thought process. Um, looking back at the really dark times, do you think if someone actually came up and had this wealth of knowledge and say, I can pull you out, what would your reaction be? Because for a lot of us, like we trickle into these things, right? Like we, we don't get it all at once, but if someone came up and said, this is your golden ticket out of hell, will you take it? Do you think you would have taken it? I think it would have depended on the person delivering the message. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think at that time, because my ego was still, you know, so strong that I could solve it and I didn't need anyone else's help. Um, the, the book that I found very quickly after I started med meditating, uh, if someone had given me that book, I think it would have made a big difference earlier on. Um, the book's called Finding Meaning, um, by David Kessler. Uh, he was the co-author with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross when they designed the five stages of grief. And mm -hmm. obviously everyone knows a lot about that. Um, the book meant so much to me uh, when I started reading it. It was honestly like it was written for me, but even the way the chapters were laid out, it talked you know, directly to me about our process, about how I was feeling. And it slowly broke down every kind of, idea I had that I was unique or I was different or you know this whole experience has ruined my life um and it wasn't how it was meant to be my life was supposed to be this thing you know I was in that I was heading in that direction and everything was going exactly how I wanted it um and it basically laid out the point of like you know things can be different and you can be a different person but that doesn't mean it's worse. Um, and the the messaging of that book, I think, and the way it's written, and, and I've shared it with a number of people that have experienced loss um, and, you know, it, it has helped them also. Uh, so I think in that sense, potentially, if that was given to me earlier, that, that could have made a difference. Someone just trying to sympathize with me without maybe having that kind of lived experience of what we went through um it, it just didn't resonate with me and, and that's you know it, to what we were talking about earlier you know i think you know as you move through your own journey where potentially you can start to help other people going through these things it is providing a little bit of you know i guess gravitas in a sense of what you're saying um you know because that experience is hard one um and being able to kind of point someone in a number of different directions uh for them to find their own path i think 
is really, really helpful. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I saw you guys after was in a pub in London and it, mm, it was a big event, that. right? Like yeah. it was for something. And you, you said to me, like, cause we were dealing with our fertility journey mm. at the time and no one around us got it. Right. We were really the outliers. And, um, you said to me, like, I understand what you guys are going through now. And right. And it was like, yeah, we're probably in the same sea, but in different boats, you know, it was a very different journey to go through, but you had at least that understanding of loss and not getting what you thought you deserved and wanted. And, you know, um, it was going to be easy and it wasn't going to be hard. Um, so relating to someone, I think that's like one of the biggest things that you can do is find people that are in the same boat as you and that can relate to you. And, and also moving through the journey at the same pace, right? It's really, um, like you say, someone, um, maybe at a different part of their journey saying like, you know, it all happens for a reason. And you're still sitting, soaking in your own like pity, which I think, you know, those pity parties need to happen. You just want to punch someone in the face when they say that to you. Like, don't tell me everything happens for a reason right now. Um, So meeting people where they're at is just so essential. And when you talk to people now that you are, you know, where you are in your journey, do you, are you able to recognize that of like, when you start speaking to someone, you can see exactly where they are because you were once there? Yeah, I mean, obviously not to the minute, but yeah, definitely in terms of, you know, understanding which stage they're at, you know, like, you know, through those kind of five stages of grief. And I think, I feel like it, it enables me to provide the right kind of support at the right time I think you know because at each different stage there is a level of support you know at the first stage like you say you don't want someone saying you know we had people saying stuff to us oh you know you need to go and have another baby you know like within a week of uh, after we lost um, our daughter and you know stuff like that you just want to kill that person um, mm-hmm. because obviously clearly there's not an understanding but you know equally you know the anger that I felt towards that person, then I don't feel that anger anymore because I also understand that it is extremely difficult for people to have that conversation. You know, if you haven't gone through, you know, a a traumatic experience, you don't understand um, how someone is feeling. And, you know, a lot of what people try to say or do try and say to people is, you know, it's obviously well-meaning and, and, you know, they want to have compassion, but equally, people who haven't you know kind of walked that path uh won't have an understanding of what to say when you know which is kind of what you're alluding to so i i I think for sure it it makes a difference um it's important that we witness grief it's important that we understand that the thing that happened to you is fucked um and that of course no one wants anything like that to happen um and there's a period of time where that's the most important thing. But, you know, referencing back to this learned helplessness, that there's also a point in time where you have to make a conscious decision yourself to heal. Um, and that's the tricky part, I think, because 
when you lose someone and, and, and when it's someone very, very close to you, we feel like the grief is what's binding us to that person. And, mm-hmm. and we feel like if I am not, you know, catastrophic or catatonic uh, with grief, then I didn't care about that person, you know, or that, you know, that connection wasn't meaningful or that life didn't mean anything to me. And that's why it's important at the start to, to ensure that you, you have the ability to grieve in the way that is the right way for you. But equally, there has to be a point where you have to, you know, recognize that holding on and feeling that way is going to impact you uh, and it's going to impact those around you. And there is many people around you that still need you and still love you and still want to be there to, to support you. Um, and again, you know, in, in um, David Kiss's book, he had this great quote that meant so much to me is when you, you know, particularly when you lose a child and then you have children, like fear becomes one of the biggest things, you know, like every single moment you see fear, you know, there's, and I know every parent does it where, you know, you check, you know, is, is my child still breathing? And, you know, you go into, into the room, but, you know, there was so much irrational fear for us around, you know, losing another child and feeling like then I really couldn't go on. Um, but the quote that he had was, you know, fear does does not stop death, but fear stops you from living. Uh, and that really meant a lot to me in, in that moment because I had to recognize that every time I felt that fear, I was back in the hospital and I was, you know, watching this traumatic thing happen. And that just didn't serve me in any way. And, you know, acknowledging that I was wrong, that it's just an irrational fear is another one of the key steps, you know, that meditation totally helped me with, Um, you know, that ability to recognize a thought as a thought and that it wasn't a truth. uh, It was really critical and kind of given me a little bit of a, you know, a a roadmap upwards. Um, So those kind of things, I think, are really important. And being able to recognize when that point is, I think for someone to heal, it is where it's very difficult. And I think that's where someone who's gone through that journey, you know, can, can potentially help. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, uh, and for everyone who knows you, we all know that you're an amazing writer and, uh, you, you know, you have that gift and watching you not utilize it for so many years um until maybe your awakening and like hey you know this is a passion of mine I've been given this gift um what's your journey with that right now with the the tie-in of having this traumatic event choosing making the choice to become the man or become a man that maybe you were meant to be not the man you thought you were supposed to be and taking the steps to um, bring that into your life, whether it just be a hobby or, you know, something you pursue in the future. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and the writing is critical, man. Like, you know, in terms of... All right, guys, we are going to pretend like it's 1992 and we are going to pause this episode. It's to be continued. This is called anticipation. If you have not felt this in a really long time, you're welcome. I think it's a feeling that we all need to bring back into our lives. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And thank you once again for tuning in and looking forward to continuing this conversation on the next episode.
Thank you so much again for joining us here on Choices. You can go ahead and leave a five-star review because we're all friends here. But if you really want to move the conversation forward, please connect with us on our social media accounts, which you can find the links below. Have a beautiful week and we'll see you next time here on Choices.